0: This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. If you've ever had any technological problems trying to set up your bike on a trainer, on a smart trainer, if you've ever Googled how to connect to Swift, if you've ever googled how to set up my wahoo kicker or even my wahoo kicker won't connect then you may have or i could almost guarantee you'll have come across shane miller GP Lama on youtube he's a tech guru and if you're like us you're one of the millions of people that have watched youtube channels uh, giving the latest help on all things technology related to cycling and not only is he a tech guru uh, he's an elite cyclist in his own right he's won almost every possible master's title under the sun here in uh, victoria and australia over the last decade including the 2012 Cycling Victoria Masters Cyclist of the Year in the male category. And so in this week's episode, we ask Shane, what are the must-haves for tech at the moment? We ask him for the best tips of technology, something most of us struggle with, and how to get the most out of your equipment and setup. And we ask him some of the golden questions like, what is the best power meter to buy? What's the best smart trainer to buy? So uh, this is a great episode talking all things technology. And we really dive into a bit of the backstory behind as we've been behind Shane himself and uh, it's really interesting to hear uh, the tech side of things from an expert and it really does clear things up. So, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Without further ado, here's Shane Miller. Shane Miller, welcome to the Traveler Podcast. Now, I want to start by saying uh, everywhere you are, Shane Miller, GP Llama, what is GP Llama? <laughs>
1: That's a question I get quite a lot.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. Uh-
1: it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's a misheard song lyric from about 20 or maybe 25 years ago. Back in high school, there was a the heavy, yeah, there's always a heavy metal kid in school. So this heavy metal kid was rocking out with a set of headphones. He started yelling out, God's pet llama, God's pet llama. And I'm like, what, what does he mean? God's pet llama, as in Dalai Lama. Is there a deeper meaning to this song that he's singing along to? And I said, hey, Tyson, what does God's pet llama mean? And he said, what are you talking about? It was something else. I'd misheard what he was like, singing along with. And I'm like, okay, that was kind of weird. And it stuck in my mind that day. And it was around about that time we had to come up with a unique username for the internet or for whatever it was called at that time, internet, BBS or whatever we are logging into. And nobody had GP Lama with one L. I'm like, okay, GP Llama. And it stuck. It's a unique <laughs> name. And it kind of stuck as a branding thing too, because llamas, even though it's one L, is isn't the Dalai Lama, but the alpacas and llamas, the animal and things like that. And now people are sending me uh, holiday photos from Machu Picchu saying, hey, you're here. As well, with a lot, I'm like, enjoy your holiday. Don't worry about my username, but it's stuck. So, yeah, it's kind of worked. So, that's the history behind GP Lama. a misheard song lyric.
0: That's a great story because I was wondering <laughs> if I was missing something, if it was a cycling reference that I wasn't aware of, but uh, I'm glad to clear that up. So, we'll launch into the, uh, the episode. And one of the questions we always ask uh, someone in the industry is, what does cycling mean to you? That's deep. Yeah, that's deep, deep straight deep, off the bat. big one to start with.
1: <laughs> what does cycling mean to me? Um... A connection with your environment, I think that's going to have to be it because you can drive a car and you, you can see everything out the window and you pass everything, but on a bike you actually get to live and breathe your environment and you get to see so much more. Um, I mean, here I'm in Ballarat uh, riding around the Nationals course up the extinct volcanoes. They are old volcanoes. Uh, through the forests now on the gravel bike, places I'd never go in the car or I just ignore because in a car it's all about the destination. On a bike, it's about the journey too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just
2: connection with outdoors. That's fantastic. Uh, and the irony of that is, you are such an indoors whiffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. the fact that you still think about it as as an outdoor activity, and that's what is your passion. And that that's that's fantastic.
1: The wind in my hair when
2: I had hair. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, when you did have hair, um, mm-hmm. look for the for the listener who who might not know who you are. Pretty much, you've done, in my opinion, as a masters rider, you've done pretty much everything uh, on a bike that was possible, and you've won every race that I've I've been racing against you for a good good on I don't know fifteen years, and since the early two hundreds two (laughs) thousands two hundreds, the early two thousands, you were kind of the innovator, not just as a tech head, but on a bike, you were you were absolutely ahead of the game with with the latest gadget the fastest go fast wheels pedals <laughs> aero position helmet handlebars um and you know so much so that I came to you for help um over that journey to say mm-hmm. how can I get as fast as you are um because I want to know what you're doing and and you know you you won every masters national title state title you're Victorian cyclist of the year a couple of times you've won the tour of bright there isn't a race i don't think you've been in that you actually haven't won and and to, to be able to do that so successfully for literally 10 years, um, I, I just think is a real credit to you. And, and you were a, a real innovator in, and a, ahead of your game. Um, why did you stop all of a sudden?
1: Uh, well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words. That's a great little summary. Um, I put a lot of work. I live and breathe this stuff. Um, as, uh, and and it's, a lot of the time with cycling... People say, you know, the more work you put in, the harder you work, the more successful you are. That's not the case with cycling. There's just so many things that have to fall into place. Um, I guess my success would be attributed to um, being a little bit crazy, like seeking that little, you know, every little, you're just trying to squeeze everything out of it. But it comes a time where you've ticked all the boxes. And there was one time when I, it was back in, so Tour of Bright, um, I target, I, I mean, we all love tour of Bright. What that is our I always call it, it's our little tour de France we the amateur cyclist. It has hills, it has a time trial, it has an epic climb up Mount Hotham at the end with CRB Hill. And I mean, you know them like mm. tour of bright means a lot to me. I won that back in 2012 when we were Masters. One, two, um three. it was Masters 1, 2, 3, correct. Mm. And then the next year I went back, I wasn't quite on form, so I worked for a teammate, Stephen Lane um and then the year after it was masters abc which caused a few little issues here and there and i get that um and i won masters a in that and i'm thinking box ticked i've won both types of you know intuitive Mm. bright. i've targeted Mm. the time trial and then i mean i I did i I targeted criteriums and did a bit of track as well had some fun with that because that's just a small time trial um but just i fell in love with the process of just getting absolutely everything out of my body um, and the equipment too. The, the, there's always something new with the equipment. But there was a time when we went to Bright for the 2015 or 2016 tour of Bright. And I was up there with Stephen Lane, um, Brett, um, I can't, uh, um and a few others. And we we're riding up the backside of Tawanga Gap. And I'm sitting on 380 watts and I'm 15 minutes into my effort. And I'm like, okay, this is what I need. I know the number, I know what it takes to win. I know what it takes to win the tour of Bright um, in the age group categories. I'm sitting on 380 watts, 15 minutes into the effort, almost at the top. And I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. And all I'm doing here is training to tick a box I've already ticked. I'm like, you know what, guys? I'm just going to go back to the cafe. My wife's back down here and it's nice and cozy coffee down there. I'm just going to turn around. And I think that was about it. I really think that was the turning point where I'm like, you know what? I've ticked all those boxes Um, and I've had a lot of fun ticking those boxes um and it was about that time where the youtube channel came along and i'm sort of now passing on that knowledge during that 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 whole growth period of like discovering cycling you know watching lance in the 2003 tour and getting a bike and getting some oversized nicks and having a bad bike fit and, and progressing through and getting faster and winning a few titles um i was helped out by a lot of people a lot of people um jason den hollander uh stuart um uh stuart Vaughan from Hawthorne cycling all those people gave me this knowledge and i started thinking well it's time for me to give back. And social media came along and video delivery, it was much easier. I can just upload video. So I thought, you know, what, I'll just pivot around and just give back all my knowledge and just start you know, tinkering with this technology and passing on all my tips. That was about it. I sort of ticked all the boxes. And one thing's really discussed in cycling. Everyone talks about how great cycling is and how fun it is and, oh, you push yourself and all that. It hurts. It hurts a lot. I've broken four collarbones in races that we've done too. <laughs> um, I've broken hips nothing hurts as much as what it takes to win a time trial or what it took for me so it might be different to others i suffered so hard in some of those time trials you just have to push yourself and there's that mental space that you can you can be in um, and you can be comfortable with being very very uncomfortable i was done it just hurt so much um so that's about it um ticked all the boxes and i was just ready just just to rest a little bit um i still enjoy cycling i still push myself i was still Pushing myself, testing a power meter up a hill yesterday. I got to the top. I was a mess. But again, it was under my control, though. When you're in a race, especially a time trial, you know, you put yourself under so much different pressure. So that's pretty much why I stepped away from it. Um, It was also, I don't think we'll ever see um, cycling reach the Cadell excitement levels that we saw. Remember Tour of Bright? I think it was 2000 and might have been 2011 or 12 or 13. Tour of Bright sold out in about 15 minutes. Mm. Insane. Mm-hmm. And so the popularity was huge. There was growth. There was a lot of change. The VRS came along. There was other races. Things started sort of diving off a little bit later on um, as people started branching out and chasing their own goals for cycling. Strava came along. Gravel cycling came along. Uh, cyclocross took off. People were sort of chasing their own goals rather than the road. Road is a, uh, what would you call it? Just a, it? It's a bit of a, a pressure cooker too.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great answer, and, and it's really uh, helped me understand where you're at now. Um, and I I often wondered whether you were disillusioned with cycling in itself, uh, or whether it was just you and your competitiveness you'd had enough of. And um, so it's it's a great answer. And and just going on to that next question would be, you've seen the growth of cycling as you mentioned; it's just boomed, um, you know, worldwide, Australia wide. It's it's the new golf from two thousand and five onwards. Um, you know, unfortunately grown men like myself you know don't look that good in uh in in lycra but we don't care and we just go to cafes and and sweat all over people and, and it's, it's kind of a, a really weird sort of uh world that uh, but more and more people have joined and and where do you see so, so the growth of cycling and the people who are in control of of our cycling community do you do you see do you see that that's been successful or is there things that you think that
1: Wow, that's an interesting one I, I i fought the administration throughout my entire competitive cycling career a lot i fought them on because i would rock up to a time trial and one of the officials would tell me off because my drink bottle wasn't uh, three to one and i'm like no it is three to one because i've got the rule book right here or we couldn't wear time trial booties up at wangarata when it was negative three because time trial booties had been banned on the track not for outdoors now i knew the rules i kept a, kept a copy of the rule book in the car like i was that kind of insane about you know ticking all the boxes and by the rule always played by the rules that's why i'm so proud of my results too because when it, even when it comes to the anti-doping stuff always by the rules and you can never take if you've actually done something like a, if you've broken a rule or taken some drugs or something you know you're always going to be questioning yourself whereas my stuff all mine i love it so anyway always fought the administration on the nit gritty things like that and one of the one of the poor experiences that I had was in a team time trial out the road here not too far and the course wasn't properly defined and we went sailing straight through with our team and we missed the turn and obviously missed any chance and I'm like ah really you're going to run events like this and then when we come into the finish the juniors were leaving and their parents were pulling out on course in their cars it was dangerous so it was funny Paul Lumsden who was at CV at the time comes walking out I know Paul um he's behind a lot of the innovation too so hats off to him for a lot of the progress they made through the VRS, Paul comes walking over, and in front of everyone, I was I said to him, I said, Paul, if you're coming over here as a friend, keep walking. If you're coming over here representing Cycling Victoria, and I've like, I'm, everyone's like, Whoa, he's like, I'm here as Paul. I'm like, Okay, right, let's have a chat about <laughs> what it, it, I, I was. I guess it comes again that that pressure pot of trying to get everything out of yourself, you can't be friendly all the time, and yeah, you expect. Yeah, you ask so much of yourself as you know as an athlete you ask so much of yourself that when something doesn't work you know you feel let down and then if others aren't don't hold themselves to such high regard as well um you're let down by the administration we saw cycling in australia fall apart um a few years ago now i haven't had a ca license for a year or two now um i kept renewing that as part of the look i'll support what they're doing but i'm not going to go out and race um so i don't know but we do see As I was saying before about people chasing their own adventures, we see the cyclocross Mm. just booming. We see the local Mm. um, Creswick Mountain Bike Club, Voga Cycling, putting on the Pig, Dirty Pig and Whistle gravel ride. Brilliant. Back to the grassroots stuff. So I'm glad to see that booming. At the top level, though, I think it's stagnated a little bit. Um, I guess it's really hard these days, though. There's more and more um, issues around regulation and uh, traffic management and the risks out on the road are so big. Mm. So I think there's a bit of a struggle there. I was seeing a lack of, when I stepped away from cycling in about 2016, 2017, the competitive side, I was seeing a bit of a lack of direction and innovation. Um, And then that war came along with the, I think, Cycle versus Cycling Australia, and that imploded and then came back. And then Mm. I think they're back on their feet now. Um, But I think a lot of people are like, you know what? There's alternatives. So Mm. we'll go race those. So I think they need to embrace those. And we see that with Cycling Australia. and What do they call it? Cycling. Have now embraced the esports side of things, mm. um, and they've had to during the COVID period.
2: So there's a definite distinction, isn't there, between the competitive beast who who wants to do what like you did, um, you know, go to all the events and 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 one of the things, just on a sideline, I, I want it to be more inclusive. I don't mm. want to have someone stand there telling me that they can't fit their credit card between my frame and the tire. <laughs> um, and, you know, look, just let's make it easier for people to compete rather yeah. than harder. Yeah. And so the people can actually enjoy the day and not be so afraid of being pulled up on the start line when you've trained so hard to, to, to focus on your next twenty minutes, and some guy puts you off mentally by saying, "Oh, your handlebars are one millimeter too." Yeah. And look, you've you've not put a marshal on a road, and I've gone straight through and gone the wrong way. That's a little bit more important than the technological, uh, you know, things of of my bike. Um, mm-hmm. So, so there's 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 that side, and then there's the the. The person who just wants to get healthy and fit and and do a PB mm-hmm. and not particularly go to a, a, a serious race, but wants to do a Grand Fondo or just be recreational with their mates, and mm-hmm. there's kind of two different parallels of riding. I I feel, and it's it, the gaps getting wider. The yeah. racing side doesn't seem to have depth or or uh, support, and yeah. the recreational side seems to be where I think we're heading and people and wanting to be healthy and fit and seeing it as yeah i don't want to i don't want to be a racer i just want to have fun um what do you think yeah i think there's a lot of pressure
1: on because that's the pinnacle of the sport isn't it um, when somebody knows that you're taking up cycling oh, are you going to be racing the tour de france that's what everybody at work will say or somebody yeah somebody who doesn't know about like are you going to the tour de france it's like no that's kind of like the very top of the so whenever you go and buy a performance race bike it's kind of like are they sell it with the, you know, well, you're going to go race it or you're going to go join a club or people just don't want to. I think this also comes down to the commercial side of things. Um, is there a commercial benefit to sponsor a team? It's going to be a struggle unless you're you're, you're invested in it. Yourself with a coaching business, that makes sense. Um, you support riders, they're out there, that's the end result. For a company to come along and put money into cycling to build the racing side of things, it's going to be a bit of a task, tough ask on return. I think a lot of these organisations who are enabling cycling for the masses, um, the the big grand fondos and the big gravel rides, they just do that because there's just going to be volume of people, and the volume you will never get at a competitive race. I think the pig and whistle out here in Creswick saw 600 or 700 riders. They were factoring about, I think 200. They said, "Oh yeah, we're we're, we're set up for about 200 riders," and they had around six to seven hundred people turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah it is, it's sort of like this road has an element of snobbiness to it, but that comes down to I think it's also misinterpreted quite a lot about people who are just so super focused on pure performance. Um, the warm up for a time trial have you, like <laughs> they were a weird beast. I mean yeah. I've done hundreds and hundreds of time trials, and there were so many tricks that are just not inclusive for time trials, including you fully get up, get your bike totally decked out, and you just warm up past everyone. you just warm up in your in your like in your, in your air. Because that, that used to get to me. That used to get in my head. It was a tactic I used as well every now and then. But then it was also put your headphones on and ignore people. There was, yeah. where is it, a gravel race or a Grand Fondo? You're there with your friends. Yeah. So yeah, I think there is a gap between the two. Um, But there's also room for both. Um, yeah. Is there a middle ground? Oh, anytime you get two people on a bike, it's always a race. <laughs> so
0: it's, it's, Which is always, why we love it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it's always difficult. But look, it, I don't think we've seen. Uh, we've, I, I think I've seen, especially myself, a, a decrease in competitive road cycling and a time trialing and things like that. But I've seen more people on bikes and more people discussing bikes, which is good for my business now too. So <laughs> that's a good mm. thing.
0: Let's dive into the equipment side a little bit, and we'll stay on you uh, personally just a little bit longer. And that is mm-hmm. that. You know, Dad spoke about a lot of your success, and how much would you attribute that to your innovation and, like you said, that craziness to? Um, get the best wheels, get the best equipment, get the best bike fit, uh, the best power meters bike computers, um, especially, uh, you know, 15 to 10, 15 to five years ago when in the last five years, a lot of this technology has exploded and everyone's on board, but you're before yeah. it. So, yeah, how much do That's you it? it?
1: That's it. Uh, Dr. Stephen Lanon uh, said it perfectly. He said it's like real estate. We got in early before everybody else came along and got really, really quick. So I was happy with that because there was a lot of quick guys there at the end and I was getting my ass handed to me quite a few times um Tire, tire and wheel technology has made leaps and bounds. Like we would go to a race and we would pump up to 120 to 130 psi on our 21 mil tires or 22 mil tires. That's unheard of now. People are racing on 28s at what 70 to 80 psi. Blows my mind. I'm rolling around at a gravel bike with uh, 22 psi in the wheels. I'm like, what is this? How are they going to fall off? So. Mm. But to answer your question, on the technology side of things, I would say most of my success is based on exactly the technology that I chose. Um, we used to, right before any time trial helmets were certified to use in Australia, so you had they needed an AUSNZ um, certification on a TT helmet. Tour of Bright 2007 or eight, we were racing in skateboard helmets, mm-hmm. Protec helmets that had no vents on them. So you'll see us in bowling ball helmets mm. because they were more error. We, mm. we tested those and they were faster.
2: It's interesting um, now, Shane, that the cask, the cask helmet looks almost exactly like that.
1: Absolutely, yep. So the little short-tailed cask uh, looks exactly yeah. like that. So we were racing, so that gave us an advantage, and that was one of my like realizations of like actually time trial. I won. Uh, I think it was B Open B uh, time trial with one of those helmets. I'm like, okay, that's all good. Um, as for positioning, so my my the biggest, uh, the highest I ever got my FTP was probably around 360 at about 68 to 69 kilos. I'm not sure what that is in watts per kilo. I didn't do a lot of FTP tests, but I knew I was around 360. Uh, my best 20-minute power is around 385. So they're not big numbers for someone who was around 70 kilos. Uh, big Tom Leaper was uh, time-trialling, I think he was doing around 420 watts. The time trials, I was doing around 370 to 380 in, but I was still putting about 45 seconds into Tom because I can get my shoulders right in. A lot of people will look at the time-trial position from the side and go, oh, how's my time-trial position from the side? You're like, are you racing sideways? Looks pretty arrow to me. <laughs> Show us from front on. That's the key.
2: Slippery, um, slippery and skinny front on, yeah, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Like if you see a, a number of the skinnier guys doing our records, you're like, really? You only did three forty or three eighty. What's that's mm. low? It's like, yeah, try and do it. Like with yeah, the surface area of a pin. Mm. They are so acknowledging that. Uh, I've I've been to the wind tunnel, which was the 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 quickest way to spend eight hundred dollars to be told to keep your head down. That was it. <laughs> that was that was really just keep your head down. Um, I purchased every single TT helmet that was certified and I always went back to my Limar Speed Demon uh, because that tested best with my back. I've got sort of a lance hump on my back when I'm sort of crouching down, TTing and pulling my shoulders in. Um, my old helmet tested always the best. Um, as for the equipment-wise though, uh, no bike frames, Meh. I mean, companies will always tell you it's, it's 40% faster, but 40% faster than the 10% that it was attributing to you. They're just... Percentages of percentages, that's what Mm -hmm. you're looking at there. Your body is everything. I think it's 90%, I think, is the average thing they throw around in the wind tunnel. Uh, We're also into the fabrics. Before everybody sort of tweaked onto that, we're using, uh, I think it's Eshla or Elksha material from Champsys, which is sort of wind-breaking material or with a few trip lines and things like that. That was years and years ago. That's just common now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess that helped a little bit. Uh, But also pacing strategy with power meters. That is just second to none because you go out in a time trial, you go out super hard, you're pushing along. if you look down at your palm, it's like that's way of a threshold. What the hell? and just knowing that that there's always going to be a monkey on your back like stabbing you with pain like <laughs> at some point in a time trial. just know that monkey's there, don't invite him too soon. <laughs> so just you're looking s- down looking down at the uh, the numbers and just having your averages uh, and just knowing you know knowing yourself and doing a time trial um yeah and preparation i think comes into it as well the tour of bright time trial for the new tip course um which goes up a hill i rode that about 40 times i think in a simulation we broke that into 100 meter sections i rode that on the old lemond revolution trainer which i absolutely love and still to this day I think it's the best trainer out there I Rode that course 40 times the day, the, uh, there's a photo of me. I think it was taken by Paul Lumsden from the Victoria. I've taken off the start ramp tour Right, Bright, the biggest race of the year. I've got this biggest smile on my face because I'm like, I've got this. I've so got this. Not to win, but I've got the effort. I know exactly what I've got to do for every single section of this course. And I came in, I think, two seconds under my simulated time. I, I won it. That helps um, to make it a good memory. But it's sort of the whole package. Whole package, and that's why I do love time trialing too. Just to take it down to time trial because you never, you never miss a breakaway in a time trial. You are responsible one hundred percent for a time trial, and if you are, if you pace it well and are the strongest, you'll win. In a road race, you can be the strongest rider out there. You can do the most work for the day. You can come dead last,
0: go home with nothing. That's all music to your ears, isn't it, Dad? Speaking your language.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, and we want to just delve into the the power meters a little bit, don't we, Jordan? Let's just follow up from, I suppose, the one thing that. You might disagree with this, but the one innovation that you think has, was a game changer for you was probably the power meter. And, and it's not going to make you go faster, but it's going to stop you from going slower. That's probably mm-hmm. the way I look at it. Um, yeah. It's a guide and we shouldn't be just fi- fixated on, on the power data. The, the data is so important. and Everybody who knows our podcast knows that we are so data driven with power meters, but we also want to include our sensations and feelings along that journey. Um, to match them together to get the right outcome so execution is relying on feelings and it's relying on your and your power data so let's just look at what's available out there for the person who's listening and who's just going what what it's a minefield of mm. power meters you know you've tested every single one of them what, where where do you sit and what what you, would you direct a person who's coming into cycling who wants to understand what the hell power is and, and what should i buy
1: well, first of all, to address why a power meter is so important. And there was nothing, again, I'm all about hands-on experience. Having, having experienced something myself, I can tell people about it and give them a good example of exactly why people have an aha moment with something like power or any of the technology that I cover. And this was when my wife, I, I bought her a power tap. She likes cycling too, so she gets all the extra gauge. Extra you gauges. better
2: tell everybody, Shane, what a power tap is. Obviously, the wheel, but
1: It's, it's, it's a power tap as a, as a hub. Well, back in the day, they also had pedals and chain rings as well. But this was a power tap hub that goes in the rear wheel and measures power all the way back there, gives you a power number. It also did cadence. I think it, they also did speed too back in the day from those. Anyhow, it was a really old school. You won't see them around much these days at all, um, but you had to replace your rear wheel with one of those. And my, I upgraded my wife's bike to a power meter. She was starting to take up racing at the time. Um, it was just natural progressions, you know, following us around to all the races around Victoria and around Australia. And she came out for a ride with this, with the power meter on the bike. And she came home. She's like, ah, I had the worst ride. I was chasing you guys, going so hard up the hills. And I got dropped. And I did, you know, I chased you up this hill. And I know the exact route that we did out in Donvale in Melbourne, quite hilly around the back roads there. And she was really disappointed. She's like, ah, had a bad day on a bike. Let's upload the data and have a look. Bing, 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 PB, 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 PB. She's like, Hang on, what? what why? I've done a five-minute power PB. Wow! And it changed her ride because, again, it measured what she did against herself and what she'd previously done. Um, and I'm like, That is the power of a power meter, right there. You can get dropped from a ride, a race, and have a, if You can lose a time trial, but if you PB in power, John Kane beat me at. Um, to, to dive off into a story. I came back from my broken hip. Nine weeks after breaking my hip, I went down to Phillip Island, raced the time trial. I put out 380 watts. John Kane beat me. I was second. doesn't happen often, um, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, I put out a power PB. I'm like, that's a win for me. That's as good as I can do. Exactly right. I couldn't do any better. Beaten by a faster rider, better rider on the day. Hats off. But I had my data, and I'm like, 380 watts. I was super proud of that. Phillip Island was a great time trial. So, that's to me, that, that story, see, seeing Vaughn came home from a ride and changed her mood based on the data too was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Same with a headwind or a tailwind. Like, oh, that was a horrible ride. It's like, yeah, look how much you were pushing out of the headwind. You can mm-hmm. really measure yourself so good. So, onto what power to go for. There is, what do they call it? it there's just, you spoil the choice, but there's also so many to choose from that you'll never decide what to choose. Like, smart trainers these days too, there's mm-hmm. just so many mm-hmm. to go with. Um, the best thing you can do is talk to a friend. Who has a power meter and who likes the power meter they have that's my first protocol have a chat to a mate they'll give you a real world experience people call us influencers i get that and we'll t- we'll give you the brand new shiny look i've got some garmin um rally power meter pedals here i've used those a few times but i haven't like really smashed things like someone who owns them would i haven't gone out and ridden them for three or four or five months and you know, had these issues i'll, I'll give the introductory experience with them, and I'll dive right into the data. But for long term, it's really hard to get that from any review, any review at all, even from my stuff. Some of the stuff I do use on a daily basis, think, years and years. So that's the value there. And the, the 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 trick is to look what I keep using. That's the trick. <laughs> to look at what I use day to day, and what I, what I use when the cameras aren't on, and what I use when I'm not posting to Instagram. That's that. That's the equipment that you want to get. So that's but,
2: what powered me to go for. That's a really good example. When in anybody in in life, whether you know. As someone who's promoting cars, well, what car are you driving? Yeah. Um, and you know, it, there's, you know, dishwasher. It doesn't matter if yep. someone's promoting something. Well, what actually do you use? And yep. and that that will probably give you a better answer.
1: Yeah, for sure. People ask me about head units too, and I'm like, well, I use them all. <laughs> I use three garments indoors. I use a, a Wahoo head unit outdoors. I use different things everywhere. So sometimes it's not a good use case like that. But yeah, it all comes down to to you know, um your own personal choice but if you can get a friend to recommend something or you can see behind the curtain of what people are reviewing and what's going on uh social media allows for that but social media also promotes people having issues because social media becomes a support site for everything Mm. um you got to watch for that anyhow to answer your question you first need to choose what kind of power media you're after well first of all your budget that's the first thing typically i throw budgets away i want to know just what works what does it do what it says on the box be it an srm be it a uh a power estimator doesn't actually do what they say, first of all. Most of them do these days. First thing to know, though, is SRM are no longer the gold standard. People claim that SRM are the pinnacle, they're the gold standard. Sorry, SRM, you've been caught sleeping for the last 10 years. There's a lot of other players out there that will give good, high-quality data, good enough for people to train with and get the best out of themselves. Um, so budget, um, and then where do you want to place that power meter on your bike? Do you going to have somebody install it? Um, do you need to swap it between bikes? And the last few years, we've seen the rise of the power meter pedal because you can go and buy a box or order them online in a very small box and then install them yourself with an 8 mil hex wrench and go and ride. You might need to change your cleats. That's about as technical as it gets. No longer do you need to you know swap out a crank set or a spider or change crank arms or lace a hub into a wheel. That's all getting very, very hard. Nowadays, you can just click on Amazon, click buy installing yourself and go and ride.
2: Especially if you've got three bikes and you don't wanna buy three power meters, uh, the pedals that they go, you just change pedals from bike to bike to bike. Yep. And, you've got, and you've got the same power meter every time you ride. Whereas with yep. three individual power meters for three bikes, oh, there's yeah. a whole minefield of uh, data <laughs> uh, inequalities happening there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yep, they all should line up. People say there's no standard with power meters and that is a problem with the power meter industry is that the, the companies all self-certify. There's no um, standards body, mm. although they're measuring the same thing, a watches as a watt and the torque and the cadence, it all should measure the same. Um, and that's what I hold them accountable to um, when I do my multiple comparisons. But because they are self-certified, I wouldn't say it's sort of like the Wild West. It's different for mm-hmm. different companies. And some companies will accept that their power meter reads 10 watts low because drivetrain loss. But then other companies then factor in drivetrain loss as well. At a certain percentage, it's not always the same. It's a tricky one, but it's a minefield. But there are a a lot of like sub-thousand-dollar options out there now um, that are really good. Uh, But the power meter pedal has really, really risen up.
0: Is that one you would recommend more commonly? Uh,
1: Mainly for ease of use, yes. Um, Look, the Fevera Asioma, I'll always talk about those. They're on the bike quite a bit. Um, They're not perfect. um, I mean... I've got four, five, 600 comparative data sets and there's a few things I'm still working with. On. I'm, like, oh, I'm seeing this and like, oh yeah, our engineers are on it. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, let us know. Um, but they just seem to work. Um, and Vera, are a company that no one probably had ever heard of before too. They used to make billboards, or they still do, make billboard signs. So I think of baseball with the big electronic signs. Um, that's, that was their business and still is their business. They came along and made the B-Pro power meter pedal. Not a lot of people heard about the B-Pros. I think they had a weird installation, angle thing you had mm-hmm. to do. And so the, the Asioma wasn't their first uh, rodeo and they come along with the Asiomas and they've just proven that all you need to do, Now I don't think they even marketed those very well. They never had a social media following for a while. They just made a product that was relatively cheap, well, relatively cheap compared to an SRM, um, but simply it just worked. You installed it on your bike and it just worked. Done, um, rechargeable, and it did what what they said. All the other power meters, they're like, oh, you've got to, you know, have this spider or have this crank arm or replace this battery. Oh, yeah, we're having issues with signal loss. And they just worked. So uh, DC Rainmaker myself, a few other reviewers have gotten these pedals to review and we're like, these are actually pretty good. These are pretty good. And then three or four years later, everyone else is doing the same in the mm-hmm. reviews. They're like, these are actually pretty good. <laughs> so, oh, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm really pleased you've sort of. Given the listeners a direction to go, and, and and you know the pedals, in my opinion, seem to be the most easy, user friendly. Mm. The, the the actual calibration um, issue that you know, as a coaching business, we we can have often riders uh, coming out on a velodrome, and they know roughly what the average speed is that they normally ride at, and they might be trying to ride at two hundred and fifty watts, and their average speed for that might be thirty five k's an hour, and all of a sudden they look down in their Garmin, they're still doing thirty five k's an hour. But it's, the power meter is telling them it's running at 220 watts, and and it, it could simply be calibration issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is is that something that that you know you would be alerting the listener to make sure that you understand what we're talking about here with you know making sure that the power meter is reading the same every single time? And and what are the what are the nuances that occur with temperature and and things like Ooh. that that affect it?
1: Oh, you've opened a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, uh, we haven't seen a lot of innovation in power meters for a few years now. Again, everyone, we're getting pretty much, uh, they report, you know, one data point per second. Uh, Most of them are relatively accurate. A lot of them are now doing um, auto calibration or or, they call it calibration, but technically it's zeroing. So it's like a a weight scale on a kitchen bench. You pull out the scale and you put it down. It says three grams. You're like, there's nothing on that. So let me just hit zero. That's what we're doing when we zero a power meter or calibrate it before a ride which is zeroing off any residual torque in the system so it reads correct reads at a zero point true calibration requires you to put i've got a 20 kilo weight just under me here that does actually checks the the true calibration of a power meter that's a whole lot of process to do um a lot of them have active temperature compensation so if you're going from cold to warm they will still be accurate through that transition um, Most of them, with auto zero, some will back pedal, or some will auto zero while you're coasting. You can never do an auto zero with a pair of pedals because you're always clipped into them, and there's always going to be torque on the pedals. Mm-hmm. Some of them do it really, really interesting. I think Garmin do a an auto zero once you unclip from the bike, and if the pedal hasn't moved for five minutes and the bike is relatively upright, it will do a zero. It'll automatically zero for you. Vero do it a different way. Um, They haven't released exactly how Vero do their auto zero, but it's not while you're riding. It's while you're off the bike, but they just do say, you know, the bike has to be upright. Um, what else? It, but it, it's really hard to know. You don't know unless you've got a second power meter to compare to. Most athletes wouldn't know the difference between ten or you know, plus or minus 10 watts. Um, at threshold, if you're really in tune with your FTP, you know. Um, I recall the time trial out here in Ballarat, actually, which, which is funny. We used to time trial around the, um, uh, the Lucas Estate, which used to be paddocks. Now there's McDonald's. Now there's a 24-hour servo. There's, you should see the development happening out here. We'll never TT around there again. But I had a new SRM on the bike. And I looked down. I'm like, that's 10 watts low. That's 10 watts low. So I had to adjust as I was time trialing. I'm like, I mm. can't push that number because that's too high. I'm going to pull this down. So it's a minefield. The best practice, though, is if you're swapping pedals between bikes, do a couple of what I call hard jam sprints first. So you talk them onto, onto your bike, spin them around, clip in and just go for a ride up and down the block. Do a few sprints, stop, and then zero them from there. If you were to put them on your bike and not zero them, you're going to have trouble.
0: What difference Um, does that make doing the kind of sprints first? It kind of
1: beds them in. Even though if you torque down a pedal enough, it shouldn't move at all, but there's always going to be a bit of flex. Uh, Maybe the pedal washer just hasn't quite. Maybe it needs to bend a little bit more into place. There's a ton of variables. Installing your own power meters can be troublesome. Um, For example, if you're installing a spider-based power meter, with a modular crank arm, you've got to have the crank correctly, uh, crank bolts correctly torqued onto the onto the spider, and then the chainring bolts correctly torqued. And even then, you just need a few sprints just to make sure it's bedded in. and There's no flex or give at any angle, so it's hard to get r- correct power. It really is. They're getting better though.
0: Can you teach us about the differences that you know with power meters and and how much they can read differently? Because we know it, especially as a coaching group. Athletes will have two different power meters and two different bikes, and They're constantly having to just learn themselves and test themselves as to, okay, I Mm can push this what's in this bike and I can only push this what's in this bike. um, When they should be reading the same, you know, just like a scale, it should technically be the same, not.
1: Oh, again, this is a deep subject. How many hours do you have here? (laughs) (laughs) The first one I'll say is, okay, there's two things to to, to, uh, discuss there, I think, just to to touch on is that if you've got a single-sided power meter, that's different to a total power meter. Because single-sided takes your left or your right, typically your left, and doubles it. So it guesses what you're doing with the right. And if you have any imbalance whatsoever, um, it will either inflate or deflate the numbers. People say, I'm always 48, 52. Okay, so I know I'm a little less. Yeah, you might be. But as soon as you go up a hill, it might change. As soon as you're fatigued, it might change. As soon as you change your position on the bike, that's going to change. Your balance will change. So comparing a total power meter, which is a spider, a wheel, uh, or a a dual-sided meter to a single-sided can be troublesome. Secondly, your bike that you're on. A lot of people will jump on a TT bike and say, oh, my power meter's wrong. I'm not putting out the same power in my TT position. Yeah, that's right, because your position, your hips, your angles all change. If you're not rotating around the bottom bracket exactly the same, I found that hard putting out tons of power climbing and then jumping on a TT bike and being different. So what I did is I set my road bike up. So I wanted to put out most uh, most of my power on my TT bike. So I set my road bike position the same as my TT bike, but just sort of elevated it Use that, a, I'm sort of pointing in my legs down and my, my torso this way. So my road and TT bike were almost the same for the L-shaped leg and torso and hip position. So your bike position and the bike that you ride can influence your output, but that's not actually the power meter. As for power meters themselves and where they measure, a lot of people will say, oh, there's drivetrain loss. So if you're measuring at the rear hub or you're measuring the spider, it's going to be different to the pedals. Or the biggest question that comes along now is always or the most common one is my my smart trainer reads low or my smart trainer reads high. That's another can of worms because you've got to have a clean drivetrain, same cassette. Uh, Your testing as well needs to be done um, under testing conditions. People will look at their average data from a ride. Average data from two power meters on two, two different head units can be are, you know, quite a bit off because the start and stops and the averaging and things like that. So you need to do some steady state tests. And That's what all my testing is done using. The power are getting better, but the only really way, really good way to know is to put them against, you know, head-to-head under testing conditions and uh, just hope for the best. But rea- rarely do they match. <laughs>
0: it, it does. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Dad about this, but I say I'm an intelligent guy and, and it starts just to get so confusing with trying to think about testing two bikes having two different power meters running you got your wahoo kicker running um you just start to get so confused and i just said that it just starts to go over your head so when you talk about a steady state test or something like that how could you if you've got a road bike and a tight tt bike what's the best practice to set up kind of test for yourself to see okay how different are the power meters reading compared to the fact that you're on two different positions you know uh
1: look Find a, find a steady-state zone that you can ride for 10 minutes or 20 minutes in. Let's say, for me, my LANA lab test is a protocol that I've developed over a few years, and then I used to test meters, and it has identified some really interesting issues that you would never see doing other testing. So find a zone that you can ride at about, for about 20 minutes, probably 80% of FTP or something. So my Lana lab test is in ERG mode because that is fully controlled by the trainer. Even though ERG is a little artificial in the way it makes you pedal, it's still good enough. These things should still read correctly. Like a kitchen scale, it should weigh Butter, it should weigh meat, it should weigh everything the same. It's just simply pressure on the scale. So these parameters should read correctly regarding erg mode, sim mode, et cetera. So if you were to set your bike up and do a 20 minute steady state at say 80% FTP, which is a good training session, even if you don't click the data or if the data doesn't record on both, it's like, oh, it wasn't a fail. I got a good session out of that. And just pedal at say 90 RPM or a cadence you're comfortable with and just do multiple tests. So jump on with one bike 20 minutes at 80% FTP, swap, swap bikes. Again, Ride at twenty minutes, eighty percent FTP, but I have a control. So set the, say, the kicker or the the tax or the elite trainer that you have. Set that to you know hold erg in that zone and forget about your power meter. Just use the other power meter to observe what the kicker is doing mm. or what the trainer is doing. Uh, but it's about coming up with a test protocol that you can repeat. Now I've been doing the llama Lab test for years and years now, and I can go back to I've got hundreds of comparative data sets, so I can always go back and pinpoint. Okay, that was doing that, that was doing that, and if I find an issue with the power meter you Know a, a few months on, I can go back and look at the same data set and do a same, do it almost a direct comparison of how it performed uh, with the same protocol. And
0: the last question I have on power meters is you know, you said before do what you do and not what you say. So, what power meters do you use?
1: <laughs> Good question. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I'm a
0: bad test
1: case. Uh, look, to be honest though, the fevero astronomers have proven themselves and it's not. I'm not biased towards any particular brand. If something just works, I will use it because I need solid baselines to compare everything else to. So the Asiomas have surprised me, and I love the story of Asiomas, like the Fevero being this they, – they, were, they weren't a cycling company. They're not your Garmin's. They weren't your power taps, They weren't your SRAMs or Shimano's. They were just a little company from Italy who just made a really damn good product. Um, so the Asiomas are on the bike quite a bit. I think they were a bit off the mark with the Asioma Duo she's They came out with the Shimano-compatible uh, pedal body option um, which pushed the Q factor out way too far for me to be comfortable on a bike, um, and, and I've, my video was, "Nah, look, it's, it's, it's the they If Shimano power meter pedals, which everybody has been asking for, I think they're going to fall flat because you're changing your bike position just to measure power. That should never ever be the case. Mm. A lot of people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. Your mountain bike's like this, or your in, indoor spin bikers like this. That's great, but as we've covered with my history, I was like into the detail about my bikes and my bike fit. And if you put a, a set of mountain bike pedals or a mountain bike wide crank on a road bike you're like what this doesn't feel right mm. um anyhow to answer the question Favero's do very very well um, and they've proven themselves but please do not take my word for it jump on any forum jump on um even the Favero marketing they've now got a marketing person like promoting the stuff um have a look at the comments they're amazing people are just people just love them there's always going to be oh my battery died or you know i need to return this or that or my bearing popped out or there's always going to be those in the technical forums um, but they're just a love product. They just work. So, yep, I'm on those until something else comes along and I'll I'll switch.
0: We, should, I mean, we should have told Faro that that was going to be your answer uh, today because we guarantee that uh, people are just, are just wanting, they don't want to hear almost all the information. They just want to be told, mm. this one, okay, I'll go buy it. So we can guarantee yep. that they'll see a spike after this in, in sales. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to training platforms because you've mm. tested everyone under the sun. Zwift is the most common, but there's trainer TrainerRoad, Spinnables, mm. Sufferfest that uh, be cool, um, a whole lot more. Um, and we know that you're a fan of Zwift, but we are just saying off air that, uh, you know, you would like to see a lot more from Zwift. Uh, they, can, they can do a lot more. So talk to us about what do you think is the best value um, and what gives the rider the best experience, uh, the best, uh, yeah, user interaction?
1: Good question. Again, we need a few more hours to really dig into this one. but I'll try and summarize. Um, <laughs> I've used all, all the platforms, all the platforms, ever since uh, blowing up a number of Fluid 2 trainers indoors, watching Chris uh, Chris Carmichael's DVDs. Um, and then to uh, coach troy with the spinnables the spinnable series they were pretty good and then onto the soft fest um what else did we use and that was then on to tinker with beat call that was kind of weird really hard to set up and get everything connected there wasn't the standards back in the day such as you know amp plus or or bluetooth or anything like that coming on for smart trainers um and then look zwift came along and i call it it's almost like when the ipod came along for apple um audio compression this is you know diving off to the nerd side of things, Um, audio compression sort of had, I think the licensing for the MP4 compression or the MP3 or MP2 Layer 3 compression was sort of released to the open so people could compress audio a great deal into very small spaces. Solid state storage came along and was awesome. So Apple just sort of hit the nail on the head with the iPod and everyone got an iPod. It was a game changer, but it was all to do with timing. Zwift came along at exactly the same time as the Wahoo Kicker was. So I had a Kicker early on, bought that back in 2013, I think it was. Loved it. I saw the potential but I was about to sell it. I was I'm like, you know what? The kicker's great, but I love the My Le Monde and it's interactive, but I can't do anything with it. Drift came along and made that experience real. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I could mm-hmm. race. And Stephen Lane, again, one of my teammates, I raced with for years and years and years. Um, I said, but load up. He had a kicker at the time. Load, load, up, load up this little beta game and, and, and let's race around this little course. And I had slain on the flats. So we we're racing against each other. This was back in 2015, I think early 15 or, 2000, or late 2014. And I was just like, hang on, Slane's got me on the clients. That was, that was the case at the time. And then I had him on the flats and in the sprints. I'm like, this is real. Oh, mm. they've, they've virtualized what we can actually do in real world. I said, this is a game changer. Mm. And from then, uh, we went out to a barbecue that night after my first test ride with this thing. All I could think about is just coming home and like, hang on, can I do this? And can I do And I was testing it all out and getting the power numbers and then uploading to Strava. I'm like, this is going to be huge. This is, gonna be- this is what everyone's been waiting for. Um, and that changed the game at the time. It made, uh, I mean, look, spinning indoors, looking at a wall, it's pretty boring. You're going nowhere. You've got to have your environment set up. Usually we play movies and things like that. But the interaction became social and that was huge. So rather than playing a video over and over and over again, and look, there's some successful companies out there who still just play videos over and over and over again, or dish out a training plan to you that was the same as last week, or you know, you can progress forward you know, through your training plan over 12 weeks. That's great. But this this experience at any time the experience on something like Zwift will change based on who's online and if your friends are online or say the Ballarat Cycling Club are holding a crit or you know you're racing your mates or that's a game changer absolute game changer so it's not more about it's not really about the technology it's about the experience and that's what people remember um, and yes yeah, Zwift have just nailed it they've absolutely nailed it they've continued they they continued to uh, innovate the first few years because they could a lot of low-hanging fruit yeah let's put workout mode in let's sync this with training peaks so coaches can assign a training peaks workout they can go straight to zwift um let's hold races let's hold the virtual tour to front let's do all that let's make it an esport which is another topic again i don't think it's going to be an esport because people, the people really want to watch people suffering on their ergos i'm not sure um it just took over um the competitors are they're ticking along. The pie is big enough for competitors to be successful, uh, but we need to know what else can be done to make it successful. What's their edge? What's their angle? I mean, everybody's got an iPhone because it just works. Mm-hmm. Um, Android yeah, doesn't really have that much of a market share, especially in Australia. Um, so
2: it's interesting, isn't it? How 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 you have to time things right. And oh yeah. and I, honestly, um, like I think I've got an account with Swift since two thousand Fourteen or fifteen, I might have used it once in five years, yeah. and then COVID came, and yeah. and you know, understanding how to use the platform properly was the game changer for us. Really? Um, knowing that you can do a free ride with your mates um, and have an experience kind of socially because you're meeting them like you would on the corner on a Saturday morning, um, and you know that you've set up a time, and all of a sudden you can ride any course you like on the the available courses they give you and and you could actually talk to each other on your phone if you wanted to um, to interact and, and really just get a similar experience. And of course, you're not getting the sun on your back and the wind in your hair, but you are still getting the next best thing when mm. the weather might be crap or you're in lockdown, for example. Yeah. So so it had a real place. And, mm. and that to me is, is where it's really uh, come of age. And you would you would love to have shares in, in Swift um, in the last two years and in, in the, you know, the smart trainers. Uh, you just yeah. could not buy a smart trainer.
1: I have a lot of smart trainers here. Um, a lot of them are out on loan or out on hire because, to, to friends uh, because they just could not get a hold of anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the COVID boost, if you jump on Google and type in trends.google.com, you can type in any word and check the popularity of it. If you type in Swift for the last five years, you'll see on March 18th, um, and I know this because my YouTube channel went crazy from March 18th to mm. about 2 p.m. in the afternoon. I don't know who locked down at that time, but it just went through the roof because I've got a, a whole library, years and years of how-tos and setups and tips and this and that. Um, everything went crazy, but you just couldn't buy the trainers. Um, my question, though, is to, to flip this to the negative side, will we see a decrease in indoor cycling? Now people can go out and ride again. And if people are associating indoors with being locked down and being sort of, you know, oh, we're, we're damn Dan's keeping us indoors. I don't like indoors anymore. Will we see sort of a, Yeah, you know, I'm interested to it, see how that
2: falls out. It, it, it's a great point. And uh, it's one that we really want to embrace ourselves as a, as a coaching business because we feel that it should be used to your advantage at all times and not be mm-hmm. dictating to you. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do a race that happens to be cancelled due to weather, or you want to do a bunch ride that, you know, it's sleeting rain outside, you can still do those activities, but just use the indoor alternative. And yeah. that's how it should be used. Um, and if you wanted to do uh, a training peak session, uh, you know, on a Tuesday that, you know, at the end of the day, you can either do it outside uh, out, or you can choose to do it indoor and you can grab a few mates and do it together. Um, you can be riding at different watts and still stay together if you want to. There's, yeah. there's so many ways you can do it, um, which I think is a real advantage if you use it correctly.
1: To give you guys a bit of a preview of what's coming very soon. Now, I'm not sure how public this information is, but if you've probably, you've probably heard of clubs on Zwift. Mm-hmm. Um, though we we have to use meetups at the moment, which are pretty clunky, or we've got to use something on the public calendar. Clubs isn't too far away, and for someone like the Trivello Group, I think it's going to be a bit of a game changer. Let's let's just say I, I might I might be just theorising here, but let's just say you were able to create your own club on Zwift, and then hold your own event anywhere, anytime, and then send out a link for people to click on to join. That could be pretty handy I think this might be the next turning point for Zwift coming soon with that we but I, be, I just just theorizing
2: we would be so excited if that happened and i've been actually corresponding with swift with unsuc- unsuccessful um responses, uh, <laughs> responses. <laughs> and, not and uncommon <laughs> we, we've been we've been running races for two years now where we've been running a handicap and you know the system we use is is unbelievably fun and it's fantastic yeah. and because I know everybody's ability, I put them in handicap groups just like you would in a normal outdoor handicap, and we have A-grade and B-grade, um, but but to have your own club and to have you know your own race where you're not using a meetup, where at the start mm-hmm. line, you're not in a pen, you're potentially, when I've got 80 riders on the start line, 100 meters from the start line, before, yeah. <laughs> that, that is the worst thing that the meetup has. Yep. You know, is, why, why can't they do the meetup like they do their races where everybody's in a pen?
1: Yeah, just wait out just a little bit. Just hold out <laughs> just a little bit. You're not
2: it's, answering it's, the it's, question there, Shane. Yeah, and,
1: uh, I can tell you why. It's, it's the legacy of the engine. I mean, we can we dive into that. The, yep. the engine's built on uh, John Mayfield's own home code. I mean, the guy's a genius how he builds things. Um, he's, uh, John was from actually cycling. Did a really good podcast of the um, evolution of Swift just a couple of days ago. Really good listen if people are right into the technology and where it's come from. But it also... Give us some insight of why it is how it is. It was never designed to do what they're doing. It was yep. never designed to scale so much. What they've done with it is quite amazing. The issues that we face are very minor compared to uh, yeah mm. what the hoops they're making it jump through. I mean, Swift is. People say the interface is horrible. Yeah, it is, but there's so many options. There are mm. so many options. You can do a mm. meetup. You can do an erg ride. Hey, you can do a workout that is with with a mixture of sim mode, erg mode, and level mode. I don't know if mm. any other platform that actually gives you that kind of ability um or you can ride with friends or you can do there's just so much to do it's just so the engine is not designed to do what they're doing so for the meetups that's the meetups is a bit of a workaround clubs if that comes soon as not I won't say as promised as discussed <laughs> because mm-hmm. we're always waiting um that could be a game changer and that could be the next leap forward um if a club was able to and then Zwift don't even need to promote Zwift the clubs will do it you guys will do it hey if I had a GP Llama club I will say look here's my link come and join my race that will encourage people to. Hey. I'm going to get on and ride with GP Lama. You might be mm. streaming that tonight. We'll, mm. t- we'll talk tech as we are doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll do that. And then the fallout of that is people have got Zwift subscriptions or they're buying a new kicker or a, an elite trainer or a Doretto or something like that. Um, that's how to grow the pie. Eric Mim was talking about on that podcast about making more hardware to grow the pie. I think they need to innovate to grow the pie.
0: You say it's a minor, uh, just talking about the meetup thing, you say it's just a minor issue compared to the uh, overall function of Zwift. But I can tell you on Thursday nights when we do these handicap races, it's not a minor issue when you win the race. And because you started 20 metres ahead of the guy second, <laughs> he actually beats you in the results when the results come sheep up. Stations. <laughs> sheep
1: stations. It's all about sheep station. To, to make yeah. it
2: worse, we video the race and we can see oh, who actually yeah. gets to the finish line first. And then the Zwift results come up with the person who won in eighth place and... <laughs> Someone else who's 100 meters back on the start line finishing in first place. And it's, I was, it is bizarre.
1: I was going to a video on this um, because people love I, I try and keep my videos on YouTube mostly positive, you know, rather <laughs> than calling it because people make a living out of calling out junk or just being um, noisy. And I try and keep it a little bit more positive. Um, and one of the videos I was going to do is exactly that. Like have 50 people line up on the start line, do some results. and like, Okay, here's what's happening here. Is this, but there was no resolution to it. Or there was no workaround. So it's just mm. pointing out what was bad. And it's like, well, that's bad. Okay, what next? Today's video is going to be an interesting one about uh, some Strava integration, which I won't dig into too much. Um, and I discuss why it's a bad thing. But I also, at the end, I'm like, here's what I'd love to see. Here's an idea. Just so we can finish a video on a spark of positiveness. You know, of a, is that the word positiveness? Yes. Um, yep. positivity that's the word i'm looking for yep. um yeah so yeah there, there are a number of um issues uh but the, the thing is it's not just a swift thing either any platform is going to have these kind of issues um yep. be it technology be it and a lot of the issues now are social they're like oh you're putting out too many watts or you've cheated on this or, and it becomes people against people mm-hmm. rather than is the technology right
0: can you take a step back it is unbelievable technology to be able to push the Power on your pedals in real time and race someone else in real time. That is quite incredible.
2: It's yep. a little tip. I wonder, if, if, do you understand why your avatar? Because we are standing on the start line, uh, and some people might wait two minutes, four minutes, up to six minutes, and then they go to pedal, and their avatar has gone to sleep. Is there <laughs> is there something that we're doing wrong that's causing that?
1: Depends what they're paired to as the power. So to move forward on Zwift, all you need is a power meter. That's it. So it's all about your your um your Forward momentum is based all on power. Cadence doesn't matter. Your controllable trainer doesn't matter. Your heart rate doesn't matter. Steering doesn't matter. Whatever you've paired, it's all the power meter. So you need your power meter to start reading correctly or start reading something. If there's no power being reported from your power meter, you're not going to move at all. So in that case, um, it could possibly be the power meter going to sleep and the pairing disappearing. Yep. Um, if it's Bluetooth, it depends on it's Bluetooth or ANT+. plus, Ant plus is usually better. In a way because amp plus just broadcasts and anybody can pick up amp plus bluetooth is traditionally one-to-one connection so if you're connected via bluetooth and it goes to sleep and then you start pedaling again the system might say well i'm not going to be looking for another bluetooth device or it might just gone to sleep so just yeah watch for that or if something else comes along and grabs that connection in the meantime it's going to be invisible to your main machine all all of this and this this is, I mean, the technology we're using is still five, six, seven, eight years old. This stuff is not new. Um, there's been no innovation here to resolve this. Wahoo did bring out the Direct Connect uh, for the uh, Kicker 5, which is brilliant. It switches from, it, it turns everything into TCP IP. It puts it on your home network. That is a solution, a really, really good solution. And not because it's wired, you can convert it to wireless pretty easily, um, but because it is a guaranteed connection. It, it, it does a handshake, it links, locks into the link, and as soon as you start pedaling, the data starts sending. That's, yeah.
0: Those who uh, haven't seen your YouTube channel, uh, we recommend going to watch it because there is just thousands of tips about all this stuff. And I recently watched your video on five companion app tricks, and mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of comments which I completely agreed with, which was number one, blew my mind. And that was uh, <laughs> in, the, in the companion app, you can, when doing a workout, there's a button where you can skip the interval mm-hmm. because if you get yep. to a point where... Um, you need for some reason you want recovery to be shorter or you're running short on time, you can just skip the interview. Whereas it's always frustrating to be locked into a session and then you have to do everything to the T. So that was a a major mind blow for me as well. What other tips do you have that uh, you could think of off the top of your head that um, would really help people straight off the bat? You know, for anyone using Zwift at the moment, as there any tips that come to mind right now that you say this is going to be a quick win for you?
1: Not for Zwift in particular, more so your environment where you've got your bike set up and everything. I think if your bike is set up on the train and ready to go, you're more likely to get on and go. So, if you need, a lot of people say, "Oh, should I use my good trainer on a, a good bike on a trainer, or should I use my carbon bike?" Yes, absolutely. There's no problems at all once installed correctly. It will have no problems at all on your bike. Uh, I've been trying to break carbon bikes for years because it would make great footage for YouTube. Imagine if I was breaking bottom brackets or snapping chainstays, or it just it could doesn't be a happen. Meme. Doesn't happen. So. If you have your environment set up, as I have behind me here, I have the bike set up, I have a a, a towel rack, I have drinks there ready to go, I have the fans Bang. ready to turn on. Yep, I have the computer there ready to go. So the if I want to do a workout, yeah, that's there. There's the, mm. the kicker climb, the elite riser, everything is yeah. set up ready to go. The, I've got the environment set up. People who have to build their indoor, you know, so removing ripped from the picture entirely, um, be it full gas, be it trainer road, be it whatever, people who have got to build their setup, their training setup every single time. It's like the, that's the last thing you want to do. It's like I just want to get on and ride my bike because outdoors you can just put a, put a set of kit on. In summer, in winter it's a little different. You've got to fully kit up, like pair of nicks, top, shoes, helmet. Go, that's it. Pump your tyres up. That's whereas indoors, if you've got to go, oh, I've got to pull the kicker out, I've got to pull the trainer out, I've got to set a fan up. Where's my laptop? It hasn't got charge. Where's my ant stick? Uh, where's my towel? Where's my... It, it it becomes hard, and even to pull it down once you're done with the session. So the best tip I can have is. Uh, and Jared, I can see it, a TV on your wall right behind you there. Like Everything's yep. set up, ready to go. Your bike's yep. already there. So yep. if you wanted to get on and do, say, 20 minutes, and you can get a good workout in 20 minutes. If people don't believe me, send me an email or pay me. I can give you a session that will kill you in 20 minutes. You will never want to do it again. Um, it's still worth doing, and you can do it in – you can be up and running in a few minutes. Um, so just have your environment set up, or just think about what you might need to go and buy to get that environment set up, be it a new fan. If you're using a simple pedestal fan that just sprays air everywhere, they're horrible. If you can get a directional fan, like a little Vornado. Yeah, oh, there you go. It's exactly. Sorry, I'm, I'm calling out your pedestal fan as being bad. If you can get a, a little Vornado fan, directs air in a certain, you know, straight at your body, grab one of those. It will be a game changer indoors. You know, have a desk nearby with a towel on it. It'll be a game changer. It'll just be. You know, I've got my mouse, and move the keyboard, or you've got a, you know, access to your phone. Um, I mean, today I spent half the time of my ride uh, researching for my latest video and making notes as I'm riding because I had the keyboard in front of me. Um, so I was working at the same time. It might be a little hard to do conference calls and things, you know, while sweating away. But if you can set your environment up and to be welcoming, there's a more chance you'll do more K's indoors.
2: That's fantastic. That's absolutely spot on. And, uh, you know, being prepared is is half the battle. So it, it, it is user-friendly. I can do it straight away. Um, yep. One of the things that I find is really a, a limiter, and and I'm wondering if you have a solution to this, is for people who've got an old kicker, version one, two, three, four, or or have just bought a new one, and have an 11-speed bike, and now I've got a 12-speed bike. So we've got this problem of the bike doesn't fit the kicker, the kicker doesn't fit the bike. With and what I, you know, Explain what I'm talking about here to the listener in layman's terms.
1: Okay. Well, because I know it's a, a podcast, so I won't hold up the little adapters that I have here, which have been um, redesigned by Wahoo in the last few months to fit different bikes. It's, uh, these are the new uh, through-axle adapters that fit certain bikes. This is a problem. This is a problem because there's no real there's there's standards when it comes to bike with like you've got 12 by 142, you've got 12 by 148 boost, you've got your standard 130, 135 road bikes with quick release. They're all standards, but then around that is different. So that the space around, so they had to accommodate uh bikes with different disc brake um uh, what would you call it? It's just the space around it. People are trying to beef up bikes for the for the new uh, seat stay sizes and wider chainstays and things. It's a bit of a nightmare. Now we have Shimano 12 speed, we have Campagnolo, uh what? 10, 11, 12, and 13 for the, for the Campag, um, ah, it can be troublesome. Um, so what, no I, easy... what actually
2: happens is when you use the wrong ratio oh. cassette, your gears won't work. So that's the bottom line. When you jump on Zwift yep. on trying to do a ride, it is a horrible experience because you can't get the gear you want
1: you can you can mash through it and for a few months when i was in perth i had a kicker with the wrong i could use about three or four gears and that's it but if you were to use that and ride through if you've got two bikes like your husband and wife or your partner has a, you know, a different bike and you're both sharing it you're going to wear either the cassette out or you're going to wear a chain out um and it's just going to be a horrible experience and if you actually throw a chain off either inside or outside it could drag on your bike that will cause problems to your bike you know you're ripping with the carbon with the with the chain falling off, um, that's not a good experience. So I always recommend match your trainer to the bike that you have. Preferably, even the same size cassette as what you use on your wheels. So your chain length and your B tension don't have to be changed at all. Um, that's getting down to the technical side of things. But if you run, a say, a 28 cassette outdoors on your wheel, run the same inside. If you run a 30, run the same inside. Yep. Um, and definitely for 11 speed, 12 speed, 13 speed, all match those. And um, This is definitely an area that trainer companies need to then adopt. Trainers haven't changed a lot in the last few years, but I think training companies now need to start offering an option. When I buy a trainer, ah, what free hub do you need? Do you need SRAM? Do you need uh, Campag? Do you need, uh, what's the other one? Shimano. Uh, Shimano. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> Shimano. How about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, they need to be offering that as a sort of a, a modular solution. There needs to be a little sort of, like you need get, get a kicker box. There needs to be a little box on the top. Where you just open that, okay, here I'll put that cassette in or that free hub, mm. and there you go, away you mm. go. That's where training companies need to go for their free hubs having to buy if if you don't have Shimano or Shimano compatible, you have to buy something else for it. Mm. it can be a pain.
2: Yeah, the additive is a problem. And and you know, you've you're wrapped, you bought a brand new kicker, version five, and you've still got an eleven speed bike. And and you basically can't ride it. Um and you know. There, there needs to be a solution where you can do more spacing or something to, to mm-hmm. match them, to marry them. I, 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 it can't be that hard, can it Shane?
1: It is. It is hard though. That's the problem. Yeah, I've okay. got the, my, my bike I've got behind me here has an Eagle. Uh, that's a, that's yeah. a gravel bike. So riding gravel bikes indoors is so comfortable. because The yeah. uh, position's upright. The handlebars are a little wider. The saddle's a little softer. It has a bit more squish. I love riding my gravel bike indoors, not for yeah because it's a gravel bike, just because it's just more comfortable. Well, no wonder on you road, can
2: work <laughs> uh, on a gravel bike. It's it <laughs> like you're sitting at your office desk.
1: <laughs> and you can, you, can, uh, you can, on a road bike, it's all about scrunching down into mo- an optimal position. It doesn't need to be comfortable. It needs to be optimal to win races. Whereas on the gravel bike, like, whatever, I'm, I'm not riding this to win. I'm just com- being mm. comfortable. Um, but I've got an Eagle rear derailleur, which has a 52 tooth on the back. Um, so the derailleur like, cage is really long. And that actually hits some trainers. So I, can, I can't use a few. So they're not quite there yet in making a universally compatible uh, direct drive trainer um that's definitely an area where trainers need to go they've, they've become in the last few years a, a lot quieter uh, a lot better ride feel more reliability the most um now it's about bike compatibility can they sort of innovate towards being compatible with everything and that's that's a struggle given the industry's uh, standards standards there's so many to choose from that's the problem
0: <laughs> on the trainer note the wahoo kicker is the most popular uh, by a country mile over the last two years is it the best
1: I'm a little biased because I've always had a kicker. and I know that ride feel of the kicker so well. If you were to do a blind test and put me on, say any of the trainers that I had here, um, I could probably pick the kicker that I'm on. It's just got that distinct flywheel feel to it. Um, the original one had the wine to it. It's funny. If you ever watch a live stream with somebody that doesn't have audio filtering on, nice. I can actually tell, you, tell, tell what kicker they're using, be it the first, second or third generation kicker. It's fine. It's a bit of a game I play. I'm like, oh, that's a kicker gen two. They're like, how did you know that? We've spent so much time listening to these things. In Australia, in particular, Wahoo have a big, big presence. They've got a great support there. FE Sports are bringing them in. Wahoo have uh, staff here in Australia now looking after the market, so their support is really, really good. Um, the distribution network is large. You can walk into any bike store in any town, depending on who they stock. Um, and you'll see, like, here in Victoria, I uh, am in Ballarat, um, sure Cycling. You walk in there, there's a whole stack of kickers. I can walk in right now and buy a Core, a Headwind, a Kicker 5, or... Whatever I need, or even a kicker bike, they have one of those there. So yeah, when your distribution is so large, you're gonna have the popularity. Um yeah, it depends on what market you're into. Um in the US, it's a little different. Um Saris are a little bigger over there, being American-made. Um, throughout Europe, tax is a little bigger coming out of the Netherlands, how they there. They're now Garmin, but they've sort of been sleeping a little bit. We haven't seen much at all move from those guys.
2: The old uh non-smart trainer. Uh, you mentioned earlier the, the, the Le Monde, which, which which I have as well. And um, uh, the beauty of having that, you can go to a, a race and not have to plug it in. I mean, you can still plug your kicker in into your uh, cigarette lighter if you cast as a cigarette lighter adapted. Um, but yeah, it's just the ease of, but it, it just, it does, it feels a bit different though, doesn't it? You've got to wind, you know, and it's a, a resistance against the air rather than, yeah. um, and you can still use it as a smart trainer if you've got a power meter and you can still ride Zwift with a Le Monde. Um, yep. Which people don't actually understand. Like, I've got a set of rollers you can see behind me. I ride the rollers on Zwift, um, but it's not a smart pair of rollers. It's just I'm using the power meter. Um, so, you know, where do you see those types of trainers? Are they just going to be gone soon? They're gone.
1: They're, they're, gone? They're, they're gone. Though, from a training perspective, uh, the Tour of Bright Time trial that I was mentioning before that I simulated the race on, that was all on the Le Monde reason being is because it's self-selected um power like so, like if you've got if you've got a erg mode gets you this know, uh, there's, there's not there's nothing i can relate to erg mode other than riding up a hill on somebody else's wheel and they set the pace like i remember riding up to uh again to on the gap i was on michael tolhurst's wheel one of the masters races and he's sitting on 360 370 i'm like i'm not choosing the pace here he's choosing the pace we have to ride at that's the only place I can think of erg mode, whereas these other ones, and especially in a time trial, your mind will wander. You'll go to sleep and you'll be like, "Ah, oh. look down at your power. Holy hell, I've got to you know, you get back mm. onto the power. Erg mode doesn't really teach that very well. So the Le Mans was great for that. So that's why I love the Le Lemont for you've got to have that little process in your brain going, keep putting the power out, keep putting the power out, keep putting the mm. power out. Um, and it's just so buttery smooth. But those trainers, they're too loud. They're, yeah, they're just not going to – you can get close, very close. But you'll never get that buttery, smooth, self-selected feeling as you do on the Le Monde. Um, but they're just too loud. You're not going to have those NAS um, market anymore. Uh, I'd love to see a smart Le Monde.
2: Hmm. But as soon
1: as you start adding smarts to it and you digitize it, it's going to change that ride feel. It's going to make it a little bit more like artificial. Um, they just nailed that train. I'm so disappointed there's not a Le Monde 2000 or something like that out there.
0: Well, Shane, you've got a wealth of knowledge and it does come from uh, your, I'd say, addiction to testing uh, every single thing on the market. So we appreciate you sharing it all with us. One of the final questions we like to ask our guests is back on the deeper end, like we did at the start, and that is, what is a life lesson you've learned over the last 12 months that you'd like to share or pass on to others?
2: Oh,
1: We've gone deep again. Life lesson. I don't know. I, I like to, I see it. That, that comes down to people. I think life lessons is about people and the interaction. It's about, like, again, it's all, it's all who you know and the experiences that you have. That's been really thrown a curveball with COVID. Um, so that, that's really, that, it's hard for me to come up with anything like that recently. And a lot of what I do, I work with machines um, because they don't talk back. They don't, they don't have an attitude. I've got the attitude. <laughs> so, I, so it's great that I'm not butting heads with it anymore. I'm butting heads with technology. Um, and it do, usually does what I say most of the time. Uh, life lesson, it's all, I think it's all about balance. I'm, I'm now a, a father of a young little son who runs around. Um, and just making sure that, I mean, even though I do live and breathe cycling, it's not, it, it doesn't define who you are. Um, So if you have a bad day, if your FTP is dropping, and look, you'll only ever hit your very best FTP once. If you hit it again in the future, that's great. Sometimes you'll never get to where you've been in the past. And I've had to come to terms with that. I'll never be at 360 FTP again. Um, And my recovery is changing. I'm 43 now. I'm not when I was, I mean, I was sort of racing masters at 34 um, and above. But, yeah, cycling isn't everything. It can be a part of your life, but I guess compartmentalise, like go in, get your workout done and go on about everything else that's more important.
0: Pretty powerful answer for someone that you know lives and breathes cycling and, and it's your job, so it's really mm. nice to hear. And I did lie, I had to have one more question, and that is yeah, sure. still from a broader perspective, but technology is so great, but it can be a big inhibitor, um, and it's especially cycling, you know. Uh, it's not always intuitive. Uh, there can be roadblocks. You can get frustrated and it's just easy to give up because you just can't get over a roadblock of some sort of technology. You're missing a bolt and suddenly your holes we've set up is, uh, is irrelevant. So what advice do you have for people trying to get through any you know, te- technological roadblocks?
1: Um, most of the times, it's not you. It's, it's the computer. It's something else. Um, and there's always somebody who can help you out with it. Be that on YouTube. There we go. There's a promotion for my own YouTube channel. If you're having trouble with something, you can just Google it, jump on YouTube, Go to a find a good bike store now. Bike stores are they're all up to speed with the technology. The old school bike stores used to be like, no, if you have if you're not running your box rims with you know 32 spokes, we don't want to know about you. What's this carbon stuff? Bike stores are now beyond that. If you're having trouble with any of your setup at all, yeah, go and find someone to help solve the problem. You can outsource it these days, and that's what the internet has been fantastic for. People can people get responses to me within seconds that will save them hours or days, and it's not just me. It's the same with any other content creator or people who are online responding. So. Find an online community, um, but also note that some online communities are trouble support ticket sites. So if you jump on and go, never going to buy a Wahoo kicker, they always fail. You're like, yeah, but you don't hear from people who are going to have a good experience because what they're doing, they're getting their workout done and they go off to work. They're not Mm -hmm. on the forums complaining. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's never terminal. Um, And at the end of the day, if you can, clip in, go out and ride your bike outdoors. That's, that's awesome there's, there's, there's no better feeling. Yesterday, I was out on a gravel bike. I, I'm, I'm loving gravel at the moment because it's, it's, it's a cross between. I'm not hardcore enough to ride a mountain bike and do all the hardcore stuff. I'm still a roadie, so I like to look down and see curled bars. But it's got all the technology there, and there's no cars. There's really no cars out there on those gravel roads. Um, from a technology point of view, I've got to put a, a shout-out to the Varia Radar. Um, if you're a solo rider who rides on like, empty roads... In the town, in towns, it's 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 you know not really that useful. It's always beeping. But something like the Varia radar definitely look that up. If you know what I'm talking about, you know. And if you've got one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't know what the Varia radar is and does, just have a look and see if one's for you. Um, they are a game changer for situational awareness on a bike. Um, will I call it a safety device? No, that's a bit of a minefield calling something like that a safety device. But what it will do is, if I'm out on a gravel road in my own little world, loving life, wind in my bald hair, headed hair, you know, thinking about something else, beep, 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 I'll be alerted before I can ever hear something coming behind me. Mm. Good example, the other day, I'm going for a gravel comm. Wind is blowing. The wind was on my back. I wasn't going for a tailwind comm. You know, and I'd never do that. But, you know, all you can hear is just noisy racing. It's going really hard. I had, a, you know, about a kilometer to go, beep, 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 and it's, I'm on a single-lane dirt track. Look down. I could have never have heard that. Turn around, there's a car pulling a caravan. No worries. Cool. Let's, well, I'm about sharing the road. I don't own the road. We don't. I pulled off to the side, stopped, had a drink, had another go at the con later on, gave him a wave. Seriously, Varia Radar. Again, drop into your local bike store, jump onto YouTube, have a look at how they work. Um, and if you're like, it's just, it gives you more situational awareness out on the mm. road to make better decisions. People say, look, it's not going to stop the car from hitting you. you know, get a mirror. If you can be better informed about your environment, you can possibly be safe and have a better experience on a bike. That is one of the game changers that
2: I've seen in the industry. Uh, that's that's awesome, and we won't ask any more questions. But I want to tell the listeners that uh, a lot of the people we coach, if they're having roadblocks like Jordan mentioned before, um, we promote you absolutely as the guru to go to to really navigate your way around. And and I'm forever saying just just go onto YouTube, find GP Lama, and he will have a video answering the question that you have. And and it's true, you you do have all of the solutions that we've come across in our coaching business where people are stuck and everybody gets stuck on similar similar parts Erg, of...
1: Erg Mode Explained. Uh, I, I go, go, everybody has to watch my video on Erg Mode Explained because I'll explain the spiral of death. Everyone encounters the spiral and they're like, my trainer's broken or my it's legs stopped. don't work. What the hell have you prescribed me to do here? What am I doing? No, watch my video called Erg Mode Explained. You will go, ah, it was me all along.
2: The, the, good, the good thing about that is we don't let anybody ride erg mode, chain. So oh, there they, we go. They, they will never have that issue. So if they ride erg mode and that happens to them, they deserve it.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so we want to promote your YouTube channel, all your socials. They can find you, Shane Miller, uh, GP Lama. Really helpful. But we can't condone the erg mode video because our philosophy is don't use erg mode. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good um, for
2: power
1: meter testing. It's good for power meter testing.
2: There's nothing else, by the yeah. way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it has its place, but yeah, as I said, self-selected cadence, self-selected power zones. As I, yeah, that's what I alluded to just before. You, you've got to have that process in your mind. You've got to train yourself to hold that power. Yeah. Um, and at race pace, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable.
0: Thank you so much, Shane, for joining us. Uh, yeah, go check him out, Shane Miller, JP Lama, everywhere, especially the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, thanks again. Really appreciate it. No worries, guys. Always happy to have a chat. And
1: uh, yeah, enjoy your next ride.